Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. Thank you, Jill. How do you teach a two to three-year-old child the gospel? I should ask some of the parents, shouldn't I? But my brother, which Vic actually knows as well, he had twin boys, and they often said they're as naughty as I was. But at any rate, when they grew up, whenever they leave the worship service, my brother would ask them, so, what did you hear in the worship service? So for a while they struggled and tried to remember, and then it caught, they cotton on and say, and realize if they answer Jesus, the answer's always right. So whenever he asked them, what did you hear in the, in the sermon this morning? Jesus. Okay. And then he thought, how am I going to teach them the gospel? So he started often asking them, what do you know about Abraham? And they struggled to figure out, but then eventually they figured out there's one answer that's always right. He's dead. What did you learn about Noah? He's dead. What did you learn about John the Baptist? He's dead. What did you learn about Jesus? He's alive! So every Sunday... On their way home, that's what my brother asked them. And isn't that a brilliant way to know everybody else in this world will die. All of us will die. But Jesus is alive. And somebody pointed out that his death was actually not even the same as our deaths will be because he overcame Satan and the darkness on our behalf. 
the resurrection gospel. So the theme in this is Paul that testified to the truth of Jesus that died and that he actually raised again. And what's the purpose? It's to remind us of the importance that Jesus died, but he also raised again. And that impacts our salvation. And that is what Paul was writing about here. Who's Paul? Well, he's a man that has the record of persecuting the church, of somebody that killed the most Christians in the early days of the church. And then God brought him to a standstill on the road to Damascus and revealed himself to him. And he wrote this letter to the churches of Corinth at the time. This, and this was the first letter that he wrote to them. And you've heard it already. Let's consider first of all the content of this gospel. The word gospel means good news. It's the good news about Jesus, about his person and his work, about his doing and his dying. This is what Paul preached. The word Paul used for preached here literally means to proclaim the good news. He wanted to remind them of the good news that he had proclaimed as good news. Paul initially preached to them in person, and he reminds them of that. If you hear the good news from someone, what is your first response? It's to tell someone else. You want to pass it on. You want to share it with others. In these days, we share Twitters and we share YouTube clips and so on. Particularly if we think it's interesting, good news is for sharing. This is what Paul had done, and this is what we need to do. We, in fact, have the best news in the world, and we should be eager to share it with others, bursting to tell others people about Jesus. Then in verses 3 to 5, Paul explained what it was he passed on to them. New Testament scholars believe these verses were an early Christian creed, a formal statement of what the church believed, like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed that were written later on. Paul wrote that these truths were of first importance. The historical facts that he explained to them here were crucial to the Christian doctrine. They were fundamental. One of these is that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, as in verse 3. Millions of people the world over have died, but the death of Jesus was different from the death of anyone else. His death was unique. He died for our sins. He died on behalf of those who believe in him. He died in our place. He did not die for his own sins because he was perfect. He died for the sins of others who believe in him. He died according to the scriptures. The New Testament had not been written when Paul wrote this. So by the scriptures, he meant the Old Testament. The death of Jesus was not an accident of history but it was planned by God and foretold by the Holy Spirit through the Old Testament in passages like Isaiah 53. This early creed also mentions that he was buried. This testified to the reality of his death. People saw him die, and he was taken from the cross and placed in a tomb, definitely dead. But he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. 
This too have been prophesied in the Old Testament. And I want to turn to that in passages like Psalm 16. So Psalm 16, the Psalm of David. David wrote this. I will bless the Lord who guides me, even as night my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder, wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. And then he wrote this. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One, to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of lying with you forever. He was raised. You, you notice it's written in the passive verb. Now, I know very little about grammar, so I have to take this man on his word that wrote this. Passive verb, which reminds us that Jesus was raised by God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is also the perfect tense, which was used to describe a continuing condition. The perfect tense of this word is used seven times in this way, in this chapter, and only two other times in the rest of the New Testament. Jesus was raised, and he continues in his risen state. He was raised to live forever. He lives forever with his saints to reign, as one of our Easter hymns put it. This is the content of the gospel. The second point that Paul wrote about is describing the reception. How did he receive this? In verse 1 he noted that they had received it. All the people in Corinth has received it. Paul himself received this gospel, verse 3 as a revelation from the Lord himself, and he passed it on to them, and they received it. No human person had invented the story, which is how the cults and sects have originated. Uh, originated. No one discovered it for themselves through their own mental processes, which is how the other religions of the world have originated. No. This was a truth revealed by God to Paul and then passed on. They received it, which means they accepted it in an authoritative teaching. They believed it. They heard it with their ears and understood it in their minds and accepted it into their hearts. Paul reminded them of this. He appealed to their experience of conversion. They had received this message about Jesus. And this is true of everyone, every believer. If you are a Christian, you know in your heart that Jesus has been raised from the dead. You know this in your own experience. There must be an subjective response, a response of faith, a hymn expressing this truth by asking, you ask me, how do I know he lives? He lives within my heart. That isn't the only way we know Jesus lives, but it is part of it. Have you received Christ? Do you believe this in your heart? Do you believe in a risen and living Savior? You may have heard it with your ears. Have you grasped it in your mind? Have you received and believed in his name? Having received it, you must hold on to this. Paul wrote that they had not only received it, but also taken their stand on it. When you believe in Jesus, you have a firm place to stand. 
Jesus is the only foundation that can be laid that is worth laying. When Job was suffering, his friends had long discussions with him. In one of these talks, Eliphaz said to Job, Your words have kept men on their feet. That is exactly what we can say about the Lord Jesus. His words of life and hope have kept us on our feet. They have supported us when we stumbled. They have strengthened us when we were weak. They have given us a place to stand in this instability of life. Take your stand on the truth about Jesus. The apostle also turned this into an exhortation to them and urged them, hold firmly to the word I preached to you. It wasn't enough to believe. They had to continue to do so. They had to hold on, to persevere, to press forward. This is true for all of us. It is not enough to look back at the, at the time you believed. You need to keep on believing. You must go on in faith. You must keep a firm grip of the Lord. You need to hold fast to the gospel that has been preached to you. Pressing on in faith and holding firm to the Lord is evidence. It is evidence that you are saved. If you give up and abandon the faith, then you were not truly converted and you have believed in vain. Paul doesn't believe that this will be true of them, but he recognizes that this is a possibility. The letter to the Hebrews is full of strong warnings against falling away. Although there, although there too, the writer assured them that he was confident of better things in their case. May that be true of all of us too. For it's by the gospel you are saved. The word saved is also worth pondering for a moment. The verb is passive. You are saved. You can't save yourself. Only God can save you. The verb is also the present tense. You are being saved. It describes a continuous action, something that is ongoing. You have been saved. You are being saved, and you will be saved. Salvation is a progressive action by God. If you are a Christian, then God is at work in you. God is taking you from strength to strength and from glory to glory. So far we have considered the content of the gospel and we have seen how we ought to receive it. Let's focus on the witnesses of this gospel. Yes, early on the Sunday morning, Jesus was raised to life. And... Many of his friends saw him. Um, the sound is a little bit funny. Is it a bit echoey? Is it okay? It just sounds a bit weird. Just go on. Yeah? Like that? That's okay. Um, Jesus appeared to Mary in the garden, and Mary recognized him, my Lord, my teacher. Thomas, he said, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it for myself. Jesus showed himself to Thomas. He showed himself to some friends walking along the road. And soon the news spread. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Now some of, some of Jesus' friends were gathered in a room and they'd locked the door because they were afraid of the religious leaders. As they were standing there talking about all of these things that had happened, 
in the past couple of days, suddenly there was Jesus standing in the room with them. <gasps> it's a ghost. Peace be with you. I'm not a ghost. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. And still Jesus saw that they were full of disbelief and wondered what they were seeing. They could hardly believe their eyes. So he said, have you got something for me to eat? And they'd just finished dinner, so they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it right there before them. And then he said, don't you remember when I was with you, I told you that in the scriptures it said that the Messiah would be taken away and put to death, but after three days he would be raised to life again. And you are the witnesses. This has happened before your eyes. Don't you remember that I showed you that in the scriptures it also said that this message will go out in the authority of the Messiah's name to every nation. And this is the message. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Now you go and you proclaim this message, but you won't be alone because I have asked my Father to send you a helper, the Holy Spirit. Wait for the Holy Spirit, and he will give you power from on high to, to, to give this message to the world. And then Jesus said, remember this. My Father sent me to you. Now I am sending you. So there were many witnesses at the time. Now in our world today, there's many people that claim, go and listen, listen to the subtlety of Jesus didn't raise from the dead. You know where, this message, where that idea came from for the first time? You remember when Jesus was laid down in the grave, the soldiers actually went to the chief priest and said to them, what if his disciple steals his body and then claim he raised again? You remember that? And the chief priest said, okay, I'll tell you what. We're going to put a whole a stone in front of the grave and we're going to put guards up there to make sure they cannot steal the body. And when Jesus raised and it started leaking out, the chief priest called the soldiers and said, here's some money. Tell everybody that the disciples stole the body and that Jesus did not raise. That's where it started. And you will see now in the world around us, often in the philosophies and so on, it is still proclaimed that Jesus did not actually rise, raise from the, from the cross. But we know, based on these witnesses, that he did. It was because of this message that Paul became a messenger. Paul had two strong convictions about his work as an apostle. One was a deep sense of humility. He regarded himself as the least of the apostles because he had persecuted the church of God. Can you imagine how desperately you must feel if you know that you actually killed Christians and that you were wrong in doing it? He regarded himself as the least. He had been there at Stephen's death 
giving approval to Estonia. He has traveled from city to city, hunting down the Christians and putting them into prison in Jerusalem. He had been against these believers and against the Lord. Whenever he remembered this, he he felt a great sense of shame. That should be true of all of us. You cannot be a Christian unless you have a deep sense of your own sin and unworthiness before a holy and perfect God. None of us have been persecutors of the church, but we are all sinful human beings who have not kept God's law. We need to keep the sense of humility. But Paul also had a profound understanding of God's grace in his life. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Is that your motto? The Lord Jesus has confronted him on that Damascus road and had converted him and changed his life. God has shown him mercy and love and grace. The Lord shows that same grace to everyone, every Christian and all of us. An amazing grace. A mercy and a love that will we did not earn or deserve or merit, but one given freely to God's people. Out of that grace, Paul worked hard in the preaching of the gospel. He was thankful for the mercy of God, and he wanted to show that thankfulness in a life of service. So he made every effort to preach the good news about a risen Lord Jesus. He wanted people to see the evidence for the resurrection of Christ, and he recalled all those who had seen Jesus. We need to affirm this today again, especially when people attack the truth of the resurrection. You too need to hear the message again and believe it. You need to receive the good news about Christ and take your stand on it and hold firmly to the word preached to you. One of the ladies that live in in the village with me, when I told her about the sermon, she said to me, what you started off with is, is the gospel in a nutshell. And she then lent me this. And it's a nut, and inside is the gospel. It's John 3, verse 16. It's written in a piece of paper in the nut. I don't know if you can see it. Anyway, I said to her, I'll, I'll show it all to you, to all of you. So where does this bring us? It brings us to... All of us need to tell others that this risen about this risen Lord Jesus. Go out into the world with this good news so that they too may believe and be saved. But I really want to conclude by going back to Psalm 16. The last from verse 9 or from verse 7. Just listen carefully to it. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead, or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. May God give us all that pleasure of living with him forever. Come, let's pray. 
our Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this incredible, your incredible word, where we can see witness after witness proclaiming that your son died, that he overcame the darkness, that he lives again, and that's he at your right hand side, and that he said, he told all of us, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Thank you, Lord, that we can live in that hope. Will you let us overflow with this knowledge and with a joy so that we can just tell others about this incredible thing that happened to us? Lord, we do pray for all the desperateness in this world, the war in the Ukraine, the COVID virus, the floods in South Africa, the floods here in Australia. But will you give us an awareness of the need for your gospel? Will you alert us to people that do not know you? Will you burn in our hearts a longing for you to come again? Oh, yes. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.